Hi there, just popping in at the top to warn you that this podcast episode may include some language that's inappropriate for young ears, as well as discussions of animal injury and death. If those are topics you'd like to avoid, I recommend using the website doesthedogdie.com. And as always, there will be spoilers ahead. Now enjoy the show! Hey there, welcome to Tear Jerkers, the podcast where we rate movies on a teardrop scale. Because sometimes you just need a good cry, and we're here to tell you where to find it. I'm actor, writer, and one-time failed hunter, Maybell. And I'm animal movie hater, Kimia. Today we'll be discussing childhood friendships, sexist trigger-happy dog owners, the most heterosexual female fox, and the origin of the phrase, okay, boomer. It's the 1981 animated classic, The Fox and the Hound. Then at the end, we'll be wrapping up with our evergreen segment, What Made You Cry This Week? But first, Maybelle, can you take us through the plot of the movie? I'd be happy to. So after his mother is killed, a baby fox is taken in by the kindly widow Tweed and named Todd. He soon befriends the neighbor's new hound dog pup, Copper. The two of them are inseparable best friends, but their friendship is hampered by Copper's mentor, Chief who is another dog, and his master, Amos Slade, who is a human. After six months of separation, upon Copper's return from the long hunting trip that Amos took him on, Todd finds that his best friend has drifted away from him almost entirely. Copper's become a strong hunting dog, and Todd, a grown and mostly domesticated fox. After a misunderstanding and a conflict that leads to Chief's leg being injured, Widow Tweed takes Todd out to the wild game preserve to set him free. Copper and Amos pursue Todd to his new home and engage him in a fight that ultimately changes all three of them. So that's the movie we're going to be talking about today. I am so excited because I have no idea what you're talking about when you say the origin of the phrase, OK Boomer. And in listening to you read the synopsis, I was not reminded my my memory was not jigged so that was just a joke because one of the birds is named boomer and his little friend is like always cueing him going okay boomer it's ready that's what it's just a joke that's everything about i had to say about that all right but first we should probably take a break let's take a break This episode of Tear Jerkers is brought to you by the first book that made you cry. Mine was Where the Red Fern Grows. I also cried a lot when I read the Red Fern, Where the Red Fern Grows. It definitely wasn't the first book that made me cry because, to be honest, I don't remember what the first book I read that made me cry was. uh, But I do Mm -hmm. distinctly remember reading Where the Red Fern Grows and crying about, about that book. So you have, like, a specific memory of that being the first book you ever cried to? I have a very distinct memory of being on an airplane, and I was reading it, and I was crying, and my mom... I was, like, a little kid. I was, like, in third or fourth grade, I think. And my mom looked at me, and she was worried, and she was like, why are you crying? It was like, my book is really sad. And she, like, Aww. like looked at me, <laughs> like, oh, now, like, my daughter's growing up and reading sad books. <laughs> Oh, how old were you? I I must have been third or fourth grade. I think wow. we read it in class in fourth grade after I had already read it. Oh, um, that's weird because I didn't read it in school. I did read it in school, but I didn't read it until like sixth grade. Mm-hmm. I think so my teacher chose really it. Oh, okay. But, yeah, but I don't. 
I don't like usually cry at animal movies. Like when I was really, really young, like five years old or something, my family was watching either My Dog Spot or Homeward Bound. And my two brothers, uh-huh. at the emotional climax of the movie, my two brothers were both crying. And my mom and I, apparently, this is, I don't remember this, but my mom says that we just looked mm-hmm. at each other and we're like, what's, what's wrong with them? Why are you? <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong with them? <laughs> what's wrong, guys? Why are you crying? I don't know. So, wow. But like, Where the Red Fern Grows did make you cry. And that is a, an animal book. Yeah. Did you ever watch, like, Old Yeller? Because that was probably the first, like, animal movie that made me cry. I don't think so. I mean, I don't remember. Yeah, I never watched Homeward Bound, but I knew that it was, like, a movie that a lot of people loved. Or, like, uh, what's another one? Uh, All Dogs Go to Heaven. Yeah, I, I haven't seen that one. one. I, just, I haven't seen that one either. I was never interested in animal movies. Like, if it that if the so main character was me. an animal, I was like, why bother? I'm... Wait, so how did you feel about Lilo and Stitch? Um, like, but what is Stitch, though? Not That's true. Stitch an- is not quite an animal. Yeah. Wait, so, um, like, is this... So, like, was it if it was an animal movie that also had humans, you were like, why aren't we talking about the humans? Obviously, they're more interesting. Or was it, like, any movies with animals? Um, okay, so, like, I like I liked Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think probably like live action animal movies were really, really, I wasn't ever intrigued by live action animal movies. That makes sense. I mean, they're, I think they're a little bit tougher for kids to really latch onto the way that Then like, why animated. the fuck are there so goddamn many of them? <laughs> they're like really easy tearjerkers. But yeah, I just, I remember reading Where the Red Fern Grows as a, as a sixth grader out on the like soccer field during a fire drill. Oh. I know. Yeah, I know. Completely random. But it was just like a day where we had a fire drill and I took my book out with me. And we were out there like all, like for a long time. Oh, okay. Like way longer than, an, I think it was like one of the longer like disaster drills mm-hmm. or something. Because we were out on the field for like over half an hour. And I finished the book while I was out there and I was crying a lot. And I remember some of my classmates, like one of which I'm still friends with who could probably remember this as well, just being like, what's wrong with you? Oh, I haven't gotten to that part yet. <laughs> like, like this, I, this was a class book. Like, I was oh. reading it for the class that we were in together. Oh, um, no. And just, like, finishing, you know, finishing the assignment for that week or whatever, which was finishing Where the Red Fern Grows. And, yeah, it, like... I think I remember it more because my friend Marissa was there and she and I are still friends now. And it's like one of the first memories I have of her. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, so apparently this episode is brought to you by Where the Red Fern Grows because I do not remember the first book that made me cry because it was probably very, very early on. Um, As we all know, I'm a huge crybaby and... (laughs) I guess... (laughs) Maybe the cries are more memorable... If when they're few and far between. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. But, but yeah, Where I the Red Fern Grows is a great sponsor. For sure. Where the Red Fern Grows. Thank you for sponsoring us in our tears. <laughs> okay, let's get back to the show. I just realized that we didn't do personal histories. Mm. So I'll start off by asking you. Okay. Kimia, what's your history with this movie? I don't remember it. I don't know if I had seen it as a child or not, but it felt like I hadn't because I 
didn't remember anything about it. Have you seen yeah. it before? No, no. Today, I watched it this morning, actually, and it was my first time. But I have a memory of someone I had a class with in high school telling me that he watched this movie as a kid and it made him cry all the time. And I I don't know why that is like one of the only memories I have of this guy I went to high school with. But um, I put it on the list because of that. And, and lots of other people have, a lot of other people our age who've seen this movie or grew up with it have mentioned that it's like a big tearjerker for them. And mm-hmm. I've, I've seen yeah. like, I've seen a lot of images from it and like clips over the years and people, you know, crying over the like climax where Cooper stands over uh, Todd's body and protects him from Amos. And so like, mm-hmm. I knew that that was coming and I knew that we were building to that moment. Um, oh, but that's, okay. that's like all of my context coming into the movie gotcha. this morning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what did you think? I enjoyed it. Okay. As a 1981 animated children's movie. Yes. Yes. Sure. For sure. I mean, it doesn't like glaringly not hold up. No. Does it? It's fine. Like, it's like, great. It's fine. I just, yeah. it's like. But it's definitely 80s. Hey, you know what I love about this movie, though? It is an hour and 20 minutes long. Yeah. It is not, like, trying to, like, force us to pay attention to two hours of tear-jerking material. I mean, at least for me, it was pretty tear-jerky throughout the whole movie. We'll get to that. Um, But, like, I appreciated that it knew what it was doing in its kind of concise way. There were a few... Parts, I was like, we could have cut that, but, you know. Yeah, when I say, like, I'm just a 1981 animated children's movie, I mean that in a very good way. Like, it's... Okay. It's so different from the, <laughs> the more current, right now, children's movies. Mm-hmm. That's it, for sure. And yeah. it was it was really, really nice to go back to my childhood a little bit and watch a movie mm-hmm. that was, like, a little bit more simple and a little... yeah less um i don't know i don't know it's just like a very it's a straightforward movie and oh god why am i there's always a fucking annoying character now like there's always some character that's so fucking i mean that's i think we talked about it in coco um (laughs) yeah with like the annoying animal sidekick but they don't always have those in movies where all of the characters are animals yeah, this is just although this it's just like a yeah, straightforward this one straddles that line. Movie. It's it's good. It's a good movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've definitely started out right off right out of the gate. I was like, wow, they really just opened with killing Bambi's mom. Like, yeah, like that was immediate. And also, I started crying because because I was thinking about Bambi's mom mostly. Um, even though, yes, I know it was Todd, but like, come on, I grew up with Bambi and like seeing, you know, the, the time when Bambi's mom died and like every single person, every single child under the age of five cried because we thought about the possibility that wait, moms can die. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So that started, that just started me off there. Um, And I'm noticing a trend that, like, most animated movies have me crying, like, off the bat, whereas most live-action movies are more of a slow burn for me personally. Interesting. I wonder if that trend will hold up. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. 
We'll see. Um, also, when the widow picks up Todd and says, I'm not going to be so lonesome anymore. Yeah. Like, come That's on. so good. That was really good. That was... Oh, it's really that made sweet. me weepy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, the actors that they hire to voice kids in these classic Disney movies, I mean, even now, I think it's all the voice acting of, like, characters that are supposed to be under the age of six. They just always tug in my heartstrings. I'm, like, such a sucker for mm-hmm. the, for the like, baby Disney voice which is sad but like it it is I just love I just love it but it it just like hits me in some way about it you know you get tear jerked Um, I do I'm I'm so easy and and then like they have um they have that best of friends song come on as the young Todd and Copper they like meet each other and they start playing and I started crying then too of course Mm -hmm. um and then like Todd was getting shot at because he went across the fence and, like, got in trouble. And and Amos was shooting at him, and that made me cry because I was very stressed out. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, when, when, um, when Amos takes the dogs and leaves for the hunting season, and then they show Todd, like, all the animal skins hanging in the shack, mm-hmm. like, that was so traumatizing. And like, and Copper coming back and then saying, Todd, those days are over. I'm a hunting dog now. Anyway, I, I would be here all night if we talked about all the moments that I cried in this movie. So I'd like to hear a couple of your thoughts. (sighs) Um, I didn't do real crying, but I did tear up a Mm -hmm. little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, but I forgot to take notes. (laughs) Do you, do you remember where you cried? When, okay, when... He says, like, we're going to be friends forever. I was like, oh. Mm, No. (laughs) Oh. I know. I know they're going to bring that line back. Mm -hmm. And so they did. (laughs) When they bring over, when they bring the kids voiceover back at the very end, I was like, come on, guys. That's just not fair. Like. (laughs) It's dirty. It's dirty moves. (laughs) You can't play me like that. (laughs) Oh, but they did. (laughs) <laughs> oh, what they did. Oh, they got me. Um, I mean, if we if we go from there and work backwards, I have a couple more. Uh, like, of course, there's the big moment where Copper chooses to take a stand against Amos and protect mm-hmm. his friend. And, like, that did make me cry. But I, I honestly was expecting a little bit more of a height to that moment mm-hmm. that I didn't get. Yeah, me which too. Which was kind of odd, because, like, I felt like it had been built up for me over, like, the last, like, decades of my proximity exposure to this movie. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was like, yes, but also not entirely, you know? That, mm-hmm. that didn't make me cry as much as when Widow Tweed drops him off in the game reserve and says, you know... I found out that I needed you too. And then she leaves oh, him yeah. in the rain without a mom. It was that like, it was that part. Oh yeah, that part was devastating. Her, is it a song or a poem? It's kind of both. It's like it's it's out it's not sung, but I think it's mostly spoken. Yeah, that poem made me tear up. <sighs> yeah. 
And then there, and then they had this whole like twenty minute portion with this lady fox thing that I was not interested in. To be honest, I was like, yeah, she was less of a character and more of a device. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was watching the movie with Gage, and he was quoting when uh, the the owl says a lady fox, like it's truly her only trait. That is, the yeah. Sh- I guess traits. She's a lady and she's a fox. Like, yeah, she's she's not really a character. She's just like a thing for Todd to be protective of. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if I were feeling less charitable, he she's another mommy figure for him. I mean, obviously not because they're like, like a little. Fuck, He's got some mommy <laughs> issues for sure. But he I he has so many mommy issues. <laughs> but I I do not want to get too much into that particular yeah i know i'm kidding that's a joke that's a joke but you know know. what i mean the trope of like a boy who goes straight from like living with his mom to living with a woman who's gonna take care of him yeah and teach him how to catch a fish and stuff yeah exactly but like i was so uninterested in this heterosexual (laughs) romance that they had going on i was like this is so boring no but i'm just i'm reading Uh, this poem again and i'm like oh Oh, the poem. Oh, no. Don't read it, guys. um, um, Something that I I found really challenging to relate to or to be sympathetic about was Amos and Copper's intent to pursue Todd after he had left their lives. You know, because I was like, Mm -hmm. they feel so vindictive about this character chief that they actually completely disregard. Yeah. Yeah. I think Amos is the crotchety old man who just wants something to hate and yell at and be crotchety about. Which I can understand a little bit more easy, easily than when Cooper is like, I'm going to get you for protecting yourself from, you know, from chief who was attacking him. And then like. Chief doesn't even die. I know that's like, we don't want a dog to die, but it's just like, they act like it's such a huge deal. And they like build up the moment after he falls off the train tracks as like this incredibly like meaningful pivot. And then it turns out he's fine. He has a broken leg. I was just like, like I had a lot of feelings. Actually, I don't know if this was intentional in the text, but it is, text that I perceived as present but I felt like there was a pretty strong racism allegory in this mm-hmm. not necessarily a race allegory but like a racism allegory mm-hmm. um that well, like before we get into that I do want to say yes. mm-hmm. it the movie was originally written so that like like chief dies originally Oh, in okay. the scene where he falls from the train tracks, he's supposed that to die. That makes so much more sense. Mm-hmm. Like, but then, like totally, that makes more sense. Yeah, so that is. But like, it didn't go well, I assume. That's the driver for all of that vindictiveness and revenge stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But then somebody was saying, like, we can't, we can't do that. That's too much. And somebody, somebody oh. said, I think, like. Um, we've never killed a main character before and we're not going to start now. Oh, okay. Well. So then they just gave him a broken leg. I mean, 
Yeah, I, I feel like that just completely guts the tension of the film, to be honest. Like, yeah. like it makes more sense for this heightened reaction if Chief had died than, than it does make, it makes way more sense that both Copper and Amos have this vindictive need to pursue Todd, um, which up until now I was just like, this is kind of stupid. And, um, and I'm going to tie it into the whole like racism allegory thing I was bringing up, but th- mm-hmm. this is part of what made me made it really hard for me to sympathize with copper in this portion of the film. But like, I felt like there was a very familiar story happening um, that, you know, these two young boys who don't know any better as children because they don't understand the quote unquote nature of who they are mm-hmm. um, to be like natural enemies are then, like, torn apart from each other, and it's about the pain and the loss of innocence from realizing that in order to, like, fit in with your people, I'm using quotes around your people, um, that that you would have to, like, sacrifice the unbiased friendships you had as a child. And I don't know. I I just felt like there was... It was pretty clear to me in, like, I could see it being a racism allegory, but a... It didn't feel like it was purposefully written that way. Does that make sense? I I second that comparison. Especially when, like, when Todd sees the skins of the other hunted animals on the wall. I was like, I feel like that's the kind of loss of innocence that they show in similar stories about um, members of a marginalized race as children realizing the terrible things that members of their friends' dominant race have inflicted upon, like, their community. You know, like, that similar, like, sorry, that similar tone of betrayal and trauma, I felt like there there was a direct comparison there. Yeah, Um, that I can't believe my friends, I I can't believe my friend would be like this, and then... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't believe my friend is one of those people. And yeah, yes. that, that thing of like, this is my friend. We're two little kids together. And then learning that mm-hmm. oh, we don't associate with those people. In fact, those people are enemies. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's actually why, like, you know, so in this allegory, then Amos and Copper and Chief are like the, the oppressing group yeah and and that and um so their reaction to chief's broken leg and todd's like perceived fault in that situation really angered me because it reminded me of entitled people that perceives any level of self-defense against them as like egregious violence that has to be struck down with the level of murder you Mm -hmm. know yeah um and yeah, so that's why that that was a part of it where I was like the the tone doesn't quite match but at the same time like it reminds me of this like really ugly streak of oppression where where like oppressing classes do those kinds of things. They perceive any sort of self-defense on the part of the oppressed as like equivalent to murder. But I mm-hmm. guess that was just because they actually changed something that was supposed to be death. Um and it would have made it a little bit Easier to understand at first. Yeah. When I was watching it from... It seemed like Copper's interest in revenge was 
pulled directly from Amos Slade's. Like, if Amos didn't say anything about it, then mm-hmm. Copper, it, it seemed to me that Copper wouldn't have. That he was just like, oh, my master says this is important and, like, we can't be friends mm-hmm. and you did do this thing and we can't be friends because yeah. dad said so. Yeah, I mean, there's the there's the whole, like, shot from down below where Chief's body is laying and Copper is, like, looking from Chief's body up to the railroad tracks where Todd is looking down and it's very, like the dramatic shot after somebody kills someone and mm, mm-hmm. and that's when copper says like i'm going to get you for this so i fully thought chief was dead and yeah. and i was like oh okay well that's rough but i can believe it and then they show chief is like almost entirely fine yeah and yeah that that really just like kneecapped the movie for me mm mhm i have to say i do yeah. have to say yeah um, but what else? Yeah, I think that's everything for me. Like, I cried a lot. I cried a lot in this movie. What were the, um, what were the big cries? Where, where were the big the cries? The big cries, I mean, the big cries I see here are when young Todd and Copper meet and start playing and they have that song come on mm-hmm. called Best of Friends. And then when Widow Tweed says goodbye and leaves him in the forest and he's all alone in the rain, and he has to fend for himself. Also, he's, like, practically domesticated. Like... Yeah, it's... <laughs> it, it's kind of irresponsible to release him. Um, but I understand why she felt like she couldn't keep him, of course. Yeah. Um, so those were, like, my big cry moments. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm pretty sure my eyes were wet throughout the whole movie. And it's not that long. So, like, I didn't have many opportunities to dry up in between crying right. moments, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. How about you? Were, what it was the poem. The, it yeah, was the, the poem. poem. Yeah, the poem was the, the emotional moment for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I want to know who wrote it. Like, was it just, like the writers of the movie or is that from something yeah yeah i don't, I don't know. know well are you ready to give your rating i'm ready okay uh before we go though could you run through the rating list again yes one teardrop bone dry no tears two teardrops i could see myself crying but i didn't three teardrops got me a little four teardrops i cried and five teardrops full sobbing so I'm going to give the Fox and the Hound three teardrops. Got me a three little. Three teardrops. Yeah, got me yeah. a little, but I don't think any tears actually fell down my face. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like they did for you. Yeah, yeah, I mean, okay, so I'm going to give the Fox and the Hound 4.75. It would basically be a five. Um, but I'm going to dock it for the unnecessary heterosexuality and the fact that they kneecapped the movie uh, by not killing Chief, which is unbelievable that I'm actually rooting for a dog to die in a movie, but I do think that it would have made it a more powerful film. So... Uh, yeah, it definitely would have. <laughs> so I, I, that's, that, those are the reasons why I'm not quite giving it the full five, but basically I had a full five's worth of tears, I I'll have- just say. I have a question that just yes. occurred to me. Did they okay. give Todd a girlfriend 
to avoid homoerotic subtext. Okay, okay, I'm so glad you brought this up. I'm so glad you brought this up. I am ready to discuss this because I thought that there was some homoerotic subtext. Like, there was some really cute, like, you know, little boys playing thing, and I could see really cute romance of them growing up and, like, realizing that, like, it wasn't just, like, a friendship romance. It was even stronger than that. And, like, that could have been beautiful. I'm also okay with readings that that see all of these animals as asexual. But those are the only two interpretations that I'm really interested in because I hated that heterosexual fox thing. Like, yeah, like I, okay. So, but you saw that, right? Like, or yeah. did it just, like, it only just occurred to you. I well, saw it when they were like playing as kids. Yeah. I just, when I was watching the movie, I was like, I'm going to be a child and watch this film. That mm, I that's so probably nice. watch as a child. So I wasn't ready mm-hmm. to do analysis on that scale or um, I see. through the eyes of a person, through the eyes of a sexual being. I was just pure, purely in like eight-year-old child mode. Yeah, um, So fair. I didn't, I didn't um, think about it at the time. I was like, oh, yeah, this is totally normal. Of course, like they would give him a girlfriend so that he, yeah. you know, that is a natural progression of the story. And now I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, they maybe... Maybe they did that on did, purpose. Mm-hmm, so that we couldn't have gay icons, or fox and hound. Maybe they did it so that there would be, like, an additional girl. <laughs> you know? A, a girl. Yeah. Because we have um, um, the Widow Tweed, and we have... Um, what's the owl's name? Mama something? Yeah. Not Mama Owl. What was it like? No. Ma- I mean... Big Mama. My... Big Mama, yes. You're right, yes. We have Big Mama um, and Widow Tweed, and then that's it. So maybe they just had to have three girls. <laughs> yeah, I mean... To the, like, yes, one, two, I guess three, feminist four, five, icon Vixie. Because <laughs> no, Vixie and... No, no, no. There's no feminism happening. Okay, no. I know, I know. I'm totally kidding. Although Widow like, Tweed is absolutely an icon. Okay, I do love Widow Tweed. She is an icon, and I do kind of want to grow up to be like her, although obviously no one wants to be a widow, but like low-key, she's super cool. But um, I want to go back to the the homoerotic subtext mm-hmm. here for a second, because I feel like a lot of times people have a gut reaction, especially for like media where the characters that gay people project onto start off as kids Mm -hmm. and people are like, well, you shouldn't put that on kids. And it's like, I just want to say that reading gay, like reading gay subtext, also known as homoerotic subtext is not actually about eroticism or sex and sexuality. It's about like, it's, it's about affection and love Mm -hmm. and care for others to the level of like intimacy on a romantic scale. I don't want people to think that I'm imagining these childhood animal best friends as like sexual objects. That's not my point. Yeah. Because, because gay children exist and they're not having sex either. Like, you know, in the same way that like a five-year-old girl and boy could have crushes on each other and it's totally adorable. I don't see why we can't also, say the same thing about two five-year-old boys who have crushes on each other. Like, that's the future that I'm looking forward to, yeah. right? Yeah. So so I just want to say that if if any listeners had that knee-jerk reaction, I just invite you to analyze it, to, like, you know, ask yourself why you had that reaction, and maybe just question if, like, that is the necessary reaction to the word homoerotic. I understand why 
that's the reaction because it has the word erotic in it. Yeah. Um, and it's that's not homoerotic. It's like homoromantic. Yeah. You know? Maybe we should just say that. Yeah, the homoromantic subtext of this film. Yeah. Um, because I think I think it was really sweet, and and like I feel like it adds another layer of betrayal and nuance and pain and love if if we read it in that lens. Yeah. So so yeah, I'm so glad you brought it up. Thank you for bringing it up. <laughs> Anytime. Okay, I think we got to take a break before we hit up our last segment. Today's episode of Tear Jerkers is brought to you by obsessing over the inevitability of your cat's death. Oh, I do this all the time. I do it too. I love all my cat time. so much. I love my cat. Oh. Oh. I like to hold her and yeah. squeeze her, and then sometimes I get sad and emotional thinking that one day she won't be around for me to squeeze. It's gonna die. And I hate that. I know. And she's anyway. She's gonna be immortal. Yeah. No. I I completely get you because my cat lives with my parents. So pretty much like every single time, because I usually go to my parents' house like twice a week to to eat with them, and obviously to visit my cat. Um, And any time that I end up not going, I'm just like, what if what if that was my last opportunity to see my cat? Oh my god, (laughs) that's horrible. I mean, that's how I live my life. Like, I always am like, what if that's the last time I see that person? But, you know, I have like... Maybell! Do you not... Is that not... Okay, so my therapist told me I have PTSD because uh, between the ages of 16 and 19, I lost, like, a bunch of people. And um, most of them were unexpected sudden deaths of other teenagers. Uh So I kind of like go through the world thinking that everyone is going to die at any opportunity. It's why I have a lot of anxiety and, um, and, and like, I know it's like, I can't really, really live this way, but I have to find a way to cope with the fact that my brain does Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. That would do Um, it. That would absolutely do it. Yeah, so, so yeah, I told that to my therapist, um, like, one of, I haven't been to see her in a while, but, like, one of our earlier sessions, I, I kind of mentioned that as, like, part of my mental health background, and she was like, oh, yeah, that's PTSD, just a little casual, like, off the cuff, like, eh, you know, you have a little, little PTSD there, and I was like, oh, cool, yeah, got it, uh, and I haven't really thought about it that hard since then, but wait, so you're telling me you, you just... Because, like, you've also dealt with death and, like, sudden, like, really hard times. So I'm surprised that you're surprised by this. <laughs> I think it's, like, an ad- I, I think it's an advantageous adaptation on the part of my brain. Maybe not, like, emotionally healthy, but, like... <laughs> yeah, like... I'm prepared for death at all times. Um, I love you so much, and I need to point out that those two sentences you said directly contradict each other. And it is not, in fact, advantageous. Um, it is a defense mechanism. Well, let's just talk about my cat for a second. Let's talk about because, your cat. Like, in, the specifics, in the specific instances of, like, obsessing over the inevitability of Elizabeth's death is, like... So, the different thing, like, with pet death and worrying about that rather than, like, close adult... Not adult... Um, close human like death um is that i'm almost certain that my cat is gonna die before i die like it's statistically more likely right um so it feels more inevitable than like the human loved ones in my life 
passing away. So sometimes I obsess over it more. Um, and I mean, so six years ago I was studying abroad and I really missed my cat and I was, you know, obviously in a whole different country, so I couldn't visit her. So I got this like really soft heart shaped pillow mm -hmm. at Primark and I would snuggle it at night and pet this pillow because it was roughly the shape of a cat that's curled up, mm -hmm. like in the crook of your body yeah, when that. you're laying down. Yeah. Right? Right? Heart-shaped pillow, kind of like that. And it was like super soft and very soothing. Mm -hmm. And I was so lonely. Oh, Mabel. Yeah. I, I know. I, I Most of college was really lonely for me. Mm. Um, and so... So I bought this heart-shaped pillow, and I actually kept it when I came back because I was, like, I had this sense of comfort from having this pillow so that I could pet it um, because I couldn't be with Elizabeth while I was abroad. And I was like, well, one day Elizabeth isn't going to be there, mm -hmm. so you should keep the pillow. However, in the six years that I've had this pillow, it is no longer soft and incredibly comforting, nor does it remind me of, of Elizabeth. Mm. So, um, so I'm just saying, like, I, yeah, I mean, I think, I think about it a lot. You could say this sponsor lives rent-free in my head at all times. Yeah. It gets me yeah. when I'm just, like, I'm overcome with love and affection for my cat, and then it turns mm -hmm. and it has, like, a a sad side of the coin that mm -hmm. I'm going to love her until I die and I yeah. will spend many years without her. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. I mean, that's the sad thing is that if you're, if you're lucky, like you're going to spend decades without her. Yeah. Because of how old we are. Yeah. Only because of how old we are. Yeah. Maybe I should <laughs> just not that old. not get any, more cats until I know. No! <laughs> until no, I know. That's not the lesson. Like that's not the no, lesson. No, listen to me. I'm gonna buy a crystal ball. I'm gonna predict the rough date of my death, and no. then I'm going to adopt a cat ten years before that. The whole <laughs> the whole idea of learning about mortality and the inevitability of everyone's death is that it is vastly more worthwhile to invest in feeling the love of someone who is temporary than it is to deny yourself the pleasure of being known and cared for even if it's by a cat that was the best so do not deny yourself the joy of having a cat that was the best sentence that was like so concise and perfect what an I've excellent thought sentence. about it a lot okay yeah. because like because of course I went through that phase of being like well, I mean, if everyone's going to leave me, then, like, I should just not bother emotionally investing in anyone, right? No, no, that was awful. That was the stupidest idea I ever had. Yeah. And so, like, eventually I had to come to that realization that, like, of course love and life is temporary, but, like, that doesn't mean that you have to shield yourself from it. In fact, it means you should open yourself up to it more. More cats. Because it's one of the... Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And... Okay, so this might also sound stupid, and I have, like, no scientific evidence for this, but I feel like because I've thought about my cat dying, and because I've already cried about it, like, several times, I will probably be more prepared to deal with it when it actually happens. Yeah, that's true. So, I feel like it's actually slightly emotionally healthy for me. Slightly. For, for me to indulge this symptom of my PTSD. I mean, like, um, yes, acknowledging that 
especially a pet that like we know we have information about how long animals live and we know that it's less than Mm -hmm. how long humans live typically and like addressing that that's healthy but if you're thinking about it every time you don't get to see elizabeth that's uh that's the line I i guess i mean like i said i think about it all the time about everyone so, um, yeah, I know. Is I'm it comforting on it. to you um, if I tell you that I'm immortal? I will never. No, because that that raises a whole different set of concerns. Oh yeah, I'm Kenya. I'm absolutely anti immortality. I hate the idea of immortality. Me too. The Me too. Is I terrible. Think, I think only people who've never actually dealt with like grief are pro immortality, because oh, there's yeah. a certain light. There's a certain light at the end of processing grief where you realize that, like, your own eventual death is probably a good thing. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't want to die soon. I'm, like, not, um, not, not trying to die right now. No, no, me neither. But I'm so glad that eventually I will. (laughs) Yeah, because, I mean, I'm exhausted. Like, yeah. Could you imagine an eternity of this? No, I love my life and I'm happy and I'm like enjoying things even in this terrible, terrible time. But, but one day it will all end and that will be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> what an ad break. Anyway, let's get back to the show. It's time for our closing segment, Maybell. What made you cry this week? Ooh, okay. What made me cry this week? Um... So there's a TikTok going around of someone who's petting their cat with a wet toothbrush. And the caption says that they do this because the wet toothbrush reminds them of their mom. And they show the video of it. And, like, the cat is purring and is clearly so, so happy. And, and look, I don't know if it's real, but it made me cry to see that, like, tenderness. And, like... Do do our pets miss their moms? Like Okay, first of all, shut up. I never want to think about that ever again. I know that Eris had okay. definitely a biological parent, two biological parents, and she also had two sisters, and um, I hate that. Oh, okay. I like to think well, that the- my cat only loves me and has never and doesn't remember anything about her previous life, which is very fucked up. But also her biological I mean, parents were not happy. there for her. That's, that's true. I just, I, it's just something I think about sometimes, you know, like, anyway, so this, this video of a person petting their cat with a wet toothbrush, I know it sounds goofy, but it is one of the sweetest videos of cats being loved on and loving, and I loved it, and it made me cry. I saw it too, it was very cute. It made me want to get a, a wet toothbrush and pet my cat with it, but the only toothbrush I have is the one that I put in my own mouth. Oh, well, wait a couple months, and when you change out your toothbrush, you can keep that one. I will. Anyway, so, Kimia, what made you cry this week? Um, I didn't cry. I think I teared up at some point listening to music. I, I guess that's, like, my thing. That's, like, the one thing that mm-hmm. I'll cry to more than anything else. But anyway, I didn't cry this week, but I'd like to call attention to a very valuable service to movie criers... If you want emotional oh. catharsis, but you want to avoid certain emotional topics, head to doesthedogdie.com. They're currently tracking over 70 topics, including gun violence, deer toy destruction, and strobe effects. It's, it's very comprehensive. It's 
a great website and I highly recommend it if there are topics oh, yeah. that you do not want to see. I I definitely really appreciate this website. Um, I've used it for a few different things here or there or just to like check on stuff. But um, I've actually been trying to petition them to start a page for one of my triggers, um, which is people or characters getting killed by trains because mm-hmm. um, I've had two instances in the last five years or so, actually probably less. Um, I've had two instances in the, in recent memory where I had like a full on panic attack in a movie theater because I, there were unexpected train deaths and it's actually just gotten to the point where now if there are train tracks, um, in a movie, I just have to stop watching and like, I mean, like, I'm listening, and it's not like I stopped the movie, but I can't watch it. Mm-hmm. I have to have whoever I'm with tell me what happens, because it's just, like, I've gotten completely emotionally battered by it, and, um, and like, the first time it happened, it led to, like, a whole month of really bad mental health mm-hmm. and backsliding in my progress. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I love DoesTheDogDie.com. Um, and if you are familiar with the website, I really ask that you go to it and vo- like vote for train deaths or people getting hit by trains. I, I think there's like one specific way that they phrase it, but if you look up trains, it should come up. Um, and there is a process and we can tweet about it when this episode comes out. If anyone's interested, I will send the information along to get tweeted. I'm looking forward to tweeting about this. I'm going to tweet it. Tweet, Thank you. I'm going to tweet about this website before we air this episode. Yes. We'll probably talk about this website a lot, to be honest. Because it's very useful. And I think it's, I think it's a godsend. And bless the people who are crowdsourcing this information. Um... So yeah, yeah, I love your shout out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank does the dog <laughs> Yes, thank you does the dog Unofficial third sponsor of our podcast. Um, <laughs> As opposed to our official sponsors of <laughs> handkerchiefs and AKA my PTSD. <laughs> um. <laughs> crying because it's raining our official sponsor (laughs) they pay us real money (laughs) now there's a company (laughs) well i think that's all folks did the fox and the hound make you cry as a child or as an adult did you feel like the racism allegory in this movie was obvious or obscure tell us how it made you feel by hitting us up on twitter at tearjerkers underscore pod you can join the conversation with other listeners on Facebook at Tearjerkers Community. And if you want to send us a voice memo with your movie nomination and why that film made you cry, you can send that to tearjerkers.podcast at gmail.com. If you could please take a minute to give us a five-star review or rating on whatever podcatching device that you use to listen to us, it would be incredibly helpful, and we really appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe or favorite And as always, tell your friends about the podcast. Tell someone you know who has domesticated a fox about your jerkers. Or if you know anyone who cries when shooting a gun, tell them to listen to us. I'm sure we have a lot in common. (laughs) Tear Jerkers is produced by me, Maybell Shimizu, and co-hosted by me and Kimia Ranjbaran. The wizard behind our intro music and the editing hero of this podcast is Gage Pryor. 
You can find more of his tunes at soundcloud.com slash please. Thanks for listening and go pet your cat with a wet toothbrush. Tell us how it goes. Post videos. This is the poem from The Fox and the Hound. We met, it seems, such a short time ago. You looked at me, needing me so. Yet from your sadness, our happiness grew. Then I found out I needed you too. I remember how we used to play. I recall those rainy days. The fires glowed that kept us warm. And now I find we're both alone. Goodbye may seem forever. Farewell is like the end. But in my heart's a memory. And there you'll always be. 